0: Tonight, we're in Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16 and 17. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word, to learn about your character revealed through the life of Abraham and Sarah. We thank you that your covenant with us is unconditional. Even when we fall short and we sin and we don't seek you the way that we should. So Lord, we just invite you into our time. We pray that you would send your spirit and speak to us. We give you our focus. We give you our attention. In Jesus' name, amen. In chapter 16, we see Abraham and Sarah making a decision that is logical, uh, it makes sense, it's cultural, but it's not spiritual. It's not one that they sought the Lord and because of that, the consequences are great, even some that are still being felt today. But thankfully, there is chapter 17. Even in the midst of their bad decision, their poor decision, we see God's unconditional covenant with Abraham and Sarah. God continues to say faithful to his word that he would bless them uh, with a child. There's a lot for us to learn in these two chapters. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant servant whose name was Hagar. This is a huge heartbreak in life when there isn't the ability to have kids when there's the desire to uh, have kids. And I know for some you've walked through that pain of barrenness and, and Sarah is in that place where she is longing to have a child but yet God's not allowing her to have a child. But then add another layer, another dimension to this where God has promised that through them that their descendants would be like the sands of the sea. So you have this desire to have a child, but you also have this promise from God that you're going to have a child, but yet the years are continuing to go on. And Sarai's seeing the window close of opportunity to have children. So she takes it upon herself to try to fulfill this promise of God through Hagar. Now remember, Hagar comes into the picture when Abram and Sarai go down to Egypt. And Abram lies about Sarai being his sister instead of his wife. And at the end of that, they end up with more possessions and also some servants. And one of those is Hagar. She's an Egyptian. And so even if Abram wouldn't have been in that place of compromise to go and lie in Egypt, things would have potentially have been different. So here's the game plan in verse 2. So Sarai said to Abram, Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. No complaint from Abraham there. He's like, okay, that, that sounds like a good plan. I'll be a willing uh, participant in in this, right? But Sarah is saying, God has restrained me from, from having kids. And what she should have said is, God has restrained me from having kids up until this point. Even though it's been so long and it doesn't seem probable that she would have kids, we know that it was God's plan to open up her womb and give, give her a child. At this point, her emotions get the better of her in regards to God's promise. I think we can all relate, can't we? We know what the word of God says. We know that God has told us to live this way, to make this particular decision, to continue to trust him in faith, but yet our emotions are telling us God's restrained me. Our emotions are telling us this is the end of the story, so I have to take things into my own hand. And when there is no fruit, when there is barrenness, When there's no fruit possibly in your marriage or or with your kids or in your singleness, you feel like, man, there's no fruit. It's really easy to try to force things to happen on your own. Instead of relying upon the promises of God and the timing of God. And what causes us to step back in some chagrin And respect from this passage is, unfortunately, we can accomplish some things in our own strength. The problem is the fruit of it's not very good. The end result of it is not very good. So instead of experiencing what God had for us, we experience what we created in our own strength. So if you're at a place where you're saying, I know God has called. I know God has directed I know that this is where God wants me to be, but yet you're not seeing the fruit. And there's barrenness, hang in there, trust the Lord. Hang in there, wait upon the Lord. It's a lot better than coming up with your own plan of saying, here's my handmaiden, Hagar, why don't you you marry her? Now we do need to understand that this is cultural. Archeologists have discovered similar things from this time period where You have husbands and wives, and they weren't able to have children, and so then he would marry a a handmaiden. So this was culturally happening around them. And to some degree, it may be logical, okay? We're not able to have kids. Sarai's saying, physically, I must be the problem. So why don't you go ahead and let's have a child through Hagar, our handmaiden. But what we don't find here is Abraham and Sarah saying, let's pray about it. Let's stop and see what God would think about this. Let's remember, what has God told us? Because God has already spoken to them that he was going to give to them a child. They don't get any godly counsel, right? We know that at the very minimum, Abraham has a very trusted servant that's a godly man that later down the road is going to go find a spouse from Isaac. He at least has him in his life that he could stop and get some perspective on. There's no waiting here. It's simply, okay, we're tired of the barrenness, and so let's fix this, and here's an option. Let's go ahead and take uh, this option that is uh, before us. Abraham should have stopped and led his family here. This is an opportunity for him to say, I know, Sarai, you're frustrated. I know that you have a possible solution here, but let's put the brakes on this and let's seek the Lord and see what God would have to say to us. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So we get a time frame here that Abram's been in Canaan for 10 years at this point, and he takes Hagar to be his second wife. God's intent in the Garden of Eden is Adam and Eve, one man with one woman for life, and that's God's intent uh, for for marriage. Every time you see polygamy in the Old Testament, it never goes well, right? Right? And here Abraham is stepping outside of God's design by having another wife, having a Hagar. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress despised, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Hagar conceives. And this is the reality of our actions. This is the reality of our, our choices, As it bears fruit. If something comes of our choices, you, you reap what you sow, and God instructs us to be careful with our decisions because they're going to bear fruit. Things get really messy here. Relationships are difficult, period, no matter what. They're challenging at times. But once you put sin in the mix, it gets even more difficult. So there was probably some harmony that Abraham and Sarah were enjoying that got affected because of this. There was probably some peace between Hagar and Sarai that got ruined because of this. So once... The action takes place. The conception takes place. All of a sudden, Hagar starts to despise Sarah. And then Sarah starts to despise Abraham. And what does he say? What does she say? My wrong be upon you. She says, wait a second, fella. This is your fault, right? But yet the whole time it was her idea, yet Abraham is not taking leadership inside of his home. Once things do go wrong because of sin, the only way out and the only way for restoration is for each party to take responsibility before their actions, before God and one another. For Abram to go, you know what? I was wrong here. I should have been leading the family. We should have been seeking the Lord. We made this quick decision. For Sarah to go, you know what? I was wrong too. I know what God had told us, and I should never have come up with this plan and put it into motion. Verse six, so Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand, do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Once again, Abram not taking leadership. Says, She's your handmaiden, so treat her however you want. And Sarai says, okay, and she starts to be really harsh with Hagar. If there's one person I feel sorry for in this story, it's Hagar. Right? She's not making wrong choices in this. She doesn't have a, a choice in this. And now she's being treated harshly, and Hagar says, that's it. I'm taking off. I'm fleeing from Sarai, the one who is oppressing me. Verse 7 Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Where are you going to go? There's nowhere to go. The only place that she can go is the wilderness. If you're in the wilderness, you hope to be by a spring of water, and that's where we find Hagar, hanging by the spring. And God sends the angel, the angel of the Lord, to find her to rescue her, to reveal God to her as the messenger. She's rejected by others, but she's loved and found by the Lord. And isn't that encouraging? You may be in a place in your life, in very key relationships where you say, I am rejected, I'm being treated harshly. You may be even are, are fleeing at this moment and you're saying, I'm totally alone, God wants to pursue you with his love and saying, I see your affliction. I see how you are being mistreated and I love you and I care for you. you, In verse eight, and he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. This is a good question. Where did you come from and where are you going? That's worth stopping and considering, especially if you're in a place where you're fleeing and you're running. Saying, well, where, where exactly have I come from? What's, what's my past? What's my difficulty? What am I trying to get away from? And where am I headed? Where am I going to? Hagar knows exactly what she's fleeing from. I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah, but she has no idea where she's going. What's her future going to be? How is she going to be able to survive? Verse nine, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. This is difficult advice. Go back to Sarai and go ahead and and submit yourself under her hand. And in this place is where I'm going to bless you, where God is going to bless Hagar. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. This is the birth of the Arab nations. Israel has its founding in Abraham, but also the Arab nations have their founding in Abraham. Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations And then Isaac becomes the father of the nation of Israel. Now, if you're ever wrestling or wondering, does God love the Arab world? You have to go to Genesis 16. Because God could have allowed Hagar to die in the wilderness. And we wouldn't have the the Arab nations coming through Ishmael. But God in his love for Ishmael, who's the baby in the womb, for Hagar... For the Arab nations that would develop, God sends the angel and saves Hagar's life, showing his love for the Arab world. Now, let's get real and let's get honest for just a moment. Sometimes it's difficult for us to see the Arab world through the lens of the cross and the Great Commission. Especially those of the Arab world that are Muslims, because some Muslims have subscribed to A jihadist faith. And we've seen the damage and the war and the destruction that has come from that. And because of that, sometimes in our hearts can be some resentment to say, I have a hard time loving the Arab world, or I have a hard time loving those that are Muslims and desiring for them to come to know Christ as their Savior. And this gives us a really good example of God's heart for the Arab world. We have to remember sin is sin before the eyes of God, right? So whether someone is caught up in the deception of Islam or they're caught up in the deception of the American dream and committed over to commercialism and the love of money, God sees a soul that needs to be saved and needs to be delivered. So as we receive grace, we give grace. As we've been saved through the gospel, that gospel is available to all who will repent and believe. We go on as the angel is speaking to, to Hagar. In verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you're with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Church, this was the first ultrasound right here. The angel's like, just so you know, you're going to have a boy, this was a pretty good gender reveal party right here. Saying it's going to be a boy. His name's going to be Ishmael. And because God has heard your affliction. Do you believe that God hears your affliction? That he sees your sorrow. That he sees your heartbreak. That he sees your loneliness and your abandonment. And all the things that are going on in, in our lives. He heard the affliction of, of Hagar. Hagar. Speaking of Ishmael, he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. This is true of Ishmael and largely true of his uh, descendants. And because of Abram and Sarai's sin, we do see this conflict that comes between the Arab world and between Israel. Israel between Ishmael and between Isaac. From the very get-go, these two would not get along. It's It's a product of Abraham's flesh. So God is very gracious in rescuing Ishmael, and loving the Arab people, and causing Ishmael to become a great nation, and continuing his covenant to Abraham and Sarah, but at the same time, God allowing consequences. And this is really a good description of God's grace. God's grace is enough to forgive us, restore us, and teach us. There's enough consequences there where Abraham and Sarah are gonna go, ouch! Can I say ouch? Okay, I get this. I can't just go for it in my plan without seeking the Lord. I can't just try to do things in my own strength. Just because it's a good idea doesn't mean it lines up with the word of God. So verse 15, verse 13, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. For she said, I also, have I also, have I also here seen him who sees me. Therefore the well was called Birleha Roy. Observe, it shall be between Kadesh and Bered. What a wonderful title that she gives of this place, of this well, of this spring that she's at. It means, you are the God who sees. I have seen him who sees me. She wasn't looking for the Lord, but the Lord was looking for her. And that was her understanding of God. He's he's looking for me. He sees me. And because he sees me, then now I see him. And the biggest gift that's given to Hagar is she comes away with an understanding of God. She comes away with a revelation of God that he is personal, that he sees me, that he cares, and I have the opportunity to see and know him. What's your understanding of God? What is your first perception of God when you think about who God is? That may be the most important thing about you, is what you believe and know God to be. And is it according to scripture, according to the word of God? Is it personal? In your heart of hearts, what do you believe and know about the Lord? Impressive about Hagar is she obeys what the angel had told her to do. So Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram named his, his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. She goes back and she comes underneath Sarai and she bears a son to Abraham. She heeded the word of the Lord and she was blessed for it. Let's look at chapter 17. And Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abraham to Abram and said to him, "I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless." So a lot of years have gone by. 86 to 99. 13 years have gone by. It's been even longer than that since the Lord has appeared to Abram or that we have a recorded conversation between Abram and the Lord. You probably notice there's sometimes in our relationship with God where it seems like God's just dumping all of this revelation, communication on us. And then there's other times where we go, man, I know the Lord's with me. I know he's speaking to me uh, through the word, which is the most important way that the Lord would, would speak to me. But I'm not necessarily having this, this deep revelation. That goes right along with the life of Abraham. And in those times where we're not necessarily having the big aha moments, that's when God is testing our faith to trust what he has spoken to us. As God appears to Abram at this point, what does he say? I am the almighty God, why? Because Abram's going to know that because him and Sarai are going to have a kid. And by this point, it's way too late in the game. Sarai's been burying all along, and Abram's plumbing's probably not working quite correctly. You know what I'm saying? Like They're past the age of, of having kids, but God's the Almighty. God's not limited. He's the God of the impossible and he wants Abram to know that. And then here's this challenge. Walk before me and be blameless. This is, Abram, be accountable to me. Realize you're walking before me and be upright and be blameless. In verse 2, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. God could have come to Abram and say, hey, How's that 13-year-old doing? How's Ishmael doing? How are things going with Hagar and Sarai? Are they having tea together every day? Things pretty chummy, right? How how does Sarai feel about this, this whole thing? And by the way, this covenant that I gave you, it went out the door when you made that mistake with Hagar. God could have done that, right? But remember, the covenant that God gave to Abram was one where God passed through the animal that was cut through, but Abram didn't. God's saying, I'm going to fulfill my part of the contract, even if you don't fulfill your part of the contract. It was an unconditional covenant. So God comes to him, he says, I'm going to establish my covenant with you, and you are going to multiply exceedingly. You're going to have kids, and your kids are going to then multiply into descendants. You're going to have this promised son Isaac, and then Isaac is going to birth you a nation. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Abram's response to God visiting with him as he falls upon his face and they have a conversation. The book of James says that Abraham was the friend of God and that closeness that they shared. And God reiterates this promise And Abraham has to receive this by faith. Not only is he physically not able, but spiritually he's failed. And isn't sometimes that the hardest time to be able to believe God's promises after we've sinned and failed? Is to go, wait a second, God's not done with me. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. God hasn't left me, he hasn't forsaken me, Yeah, there's consequence for my my choices, but I still believe in this covenant relationship that God has established with me. In communion, it's a covenant relationship. Jesus, as he introduced communion, he said, this is the new covenant of my blood. And it's a contract that's made in his blood. So when we sin to be able to continue to believe in the covenant of Jesus Christ, that he hasn't left us, that he hasn't forsaken us, that he's not done using us. Some of you are fully convinced there's no Isaac coming in your life because you've blown it. You're like, I know I'm a believer. I know that God's forgiven me. But I also know I had a Hagar moment. And so because of that, I'm done. God's not gonna bless me. His promises that he's put on my heart and my life, they're not gonna happen and take place. And so Abraham's going through all of this And he has to receive this by faith. He has to receive this based on the character of God. It gets worse. This to me has got to be so hard for Abram. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name should be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many nations. So could you imagine going around talking to your friends, being like, yeah, you know, I know my name's Ben Abram, but uh, God changed my name. And go ahead and just call me Abraham from now on, the father of many nations. And they're starting to giggle. They're starting to bust up. Wait a second, bro. You only got one kid. And that's Ishmael, and that's with Hagar. Hagar. And now you're telling me that you and Sarah are going to have children and that's going to result in you being the father of many nations? I I don't think so. That's that's not going to take place. And so for Abram to embrace that, that's a step of faith. In verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants and after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This is quite a covenant from God. My covenant between me and you and your descendants, their generations, an everlasting covenant. This answers a lot of questions for us in regards to the nation of Israel. There's some that teach that God has rejected the nation of Israel as his chosen people and the church is now the nation of Israel. It's called replacement theology and it's been around for a really long time but it's really thought flawed theologically because god says here that it's an everlasting covenant with the nation of israel so if he's replaced the nation of israel how is it an everlasting covenant and then romans nine, ten, and 11 tell us that god's not done with the nation of israel Zechariah chapter 12 and Zechariah 14 prophesy a day when Israel's going to recognize Jesus as their Messiah and they're going to ask where did you get these wounds and Jesus is going to respond in the house of my friends upon Christ's second coming is when Israel really embraces that Jesus is the Messiah collectively but here's the heart of this if God rejects the nation of Israel based on their lack of performance and their unbelief, what hope is there for us? When Jesus comes and says, this is my everlasting covenant that I've made with you, the new covenant of my blood, if we're looking back here and going, well, you know, God has rejected this everlasting covenant with Israel, what hope does it give to us as a a Gentile church? So the covenant is everlasting, And with it, with this covenant, comes land, and God gives specific land. It's the land of Canaan. It's to Abraham's descendants, specifically through Isaac, the nation of Israel, not through Ishmael. And it's an everlasting possession. So God wants the children of Israel, the Israelites, to have Canaan forever. Now, this is so unique because there's no other place in Scripture where God gives land to a particular group of people. What is the most contested land on the planet? The nation of Israel. Could there be a spiritual component there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure Satan would love to wipe Israel off of the face of the earth because if he does do that, then the word of God can't be fulfilled. Because in Revelation, we see 12,000 from each tribe, 144,000. Well, I got to tell you, God wins. Satan has not been able to wipe out the nation of Israel. When Jesus returns, he returns where? He returns in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. So there's definitely a spiritual component to this. Now, having said this, Is every decision that Israel makes as a nation, is it right on? Is it one where they've sought God and one where they have submitted to the Lord? Well, we know our Bibles, we've read our Bibles, and that's never been the case for the nation of Israel. Even under David, who was a man after God's own heart, he was sinful and he was flawed. So the the nation of Israel today is not necessarily right with the Lord, or walking with the Lord, or submitted to the Lord. So we can look at this objectively and say, you know, not all the decisions that Israel makes as a country are necessarily God-honoring, but it's still the truth that God has chosen them, and it's still the truth that God has given this land uh, over to them as an everlasting possession. So keep your eyes on the the nation of Israel. Bible prophecy is centered around the nation of Israel. Prophecy that's fulfilled in the past and prophecy that will continue to be fulfilled in the future. In verse nine, this is when the covenant gets painful. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you And your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house. Or bought with money from a foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house. He who is... But with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. The sign of the covenant is that all of the males were to be circumcised. As you read through the scriptures, circumcision was always to be something outward in the flesh that was first symbolized by an inward commitment to God. A heart that was set apart for the Lord. A heart that had been marked for the Lord that then was represented in this covenant through circumcision. So God wanted this for Abraham and his household and future generations in the nation of of Israel. Is it strategic by the Lord that it would have to do with a sexual organ? Absolutely. With sexual integrity? Absolutely. What got the children of Israel away from God so many times? Sexual sin. They would serve these false gods. And these false gods would come with sexual sin. You would go to these temples and engage in sexual sin while you were worshiping these these false gods. These men were to have hearts and lives that were set apart for the Lord, represented in their sexual purity, their sexual integrity and commitment uh, to the Lord. Verse 15, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall no longer call her Sarai, but Sarah." shall be her name. So she goes from an I to an H. Sarai in the Hebrew means contentious, but Sarah means princess. So she got to upgrade in her name. And God oftentimes changes people's names in Scripture because it represents the work of God changing their character. Through this whole journey of Abraham and Sarah's life, God is changing them. And that's what God's doing in us as well. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. He's faithful to commit, he's faithful to finish that good work that he starts in us. Verse 16, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her and I will bless her and she'll be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Very specific. Not from Hagar or some other woman, but from her. She's going to be a mom and from that is going to come nations, descendants. Then Abraham fell on his face. We see him as a worshiper and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarai, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now as we'll read uh, next week, Sarah's going to laugh, but her laugh is one of unbelief and she gets corrected. This is not laughter of unbelief, but this is laughter of, oh, I'm so blessed. This is Abram embracing the promises of God and laughing out of sheer joy of God, only you can do this. So the way this reads is, Lord, you're amazing. You can give a hundred year old and a 90 year old children, God, you are the almighty God. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham's a smart man. He's intelligent, and he's like, okay, you're gonna give me a child through Sarah. That's great. That child's gonna confirm the covenant, but what about Ishmael? I really love Ishmael. Ishmael's my son. I want him to live uh, before you, and this shows how we're really bonded with the work of our flesh, the Ishmaels in our life, This is my hard work. This was my creativity. I I came up with this. God, please allow the Ishmael to, to live before you. God very clearly, then God said, no, Sarah, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Sometimes in order to embrace the Isaac in our life, we have to quit persisting that the Ishmael would live before the Lord. I think that this has a lot of correlation for churches because sometimes in the life of a church, maybe things are not happening the way that we would desire or the way that we would intend. And a lot of times is as pastors, you know, if there's maybe a drier season in the church, you feel this pressure, like, okay, something's got to happen here, and it doesn't seem like the Lord's bringing fruit right now, so we're going to try to come up with something. And in a sense, it's an Ishmael type of endeavor, and something does take place from that. And maybe it wasn't what the Lord intended, and then God's like, I want to do this over here. I want to do Isaac. And we're like, Lord, I'm, I'm really into Ishmael. Let, let Ishmael live before you. And even though it's taught, and I think that it's biblical, is sometimes in the life of a church, in the life of a ministry, ministries really do have to stop. Ministries have to die. Like God's not in that anymore. He's not using it. There's not fruit anymore in that. And maybe for years there were. But all of a sudden now, it's it's really clear we're trying to move this forward, and God's not moving it forward any longer, and it's really hard to let those ministries die. It's really hard to say, okay, it's okay. I mean, let's just think about it for sake of an, an example, and this isn't happening in our church. Thankfully, our youth ministry is going really well, but what if it wasn't? And what if the Lord was speaking to us as a church and to the leadership of the church saying, you know what, it's time to not have a youth ministry. There's not fruit coming from the ministry. There's more division and destruction. And so the teens are going to be here in the sanctuary. <gasps> right? We gotta have a youth ministry. You can't be a church without a, a youth ministry. And you start to get the idea, right? It's really hard to let ministries die. We'll almost die trying to keep a dead ministry growing before we'll let it die. But if we choose to let it die, then we're able to embrace the Isaac in our life. We're able to embrace that new work that, that God is, is doing. It's a tough question to ask in your life, but is there a work of the flesh in my life that I need to let die? Maybe there's a relationship That if you look back, you go, man, the spirit was never leading this. This was a work of of the flesh. Now, if you're married, you're committed. I don't even care if it started in the flesh. It's now spiritual, right? I'm talking about friendships, like relationships. Now, if you're dating and you're not married and there isn't a ring on your finger and it's in the flesh, guess what? Ishmael can die, right? Because I know some of you are like, yeah, we did start in the flesh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not talking about that. You're married, you're committed, amen, right? But if you're single, you have the opportunity to examine, did we get this whole thing going or did God get this, this thing going? You know, is is this friendship something that the Lord has done or is it something that I've done in my life? You get the idea. It's hard, it's challenging. We get where Abraham's coming from. In verse 20 And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He will beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. So God says, I'm going to bless Ishmael, Abraham, but the covenant is not going to come through Ishmael. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house and who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God said to him. Now I want to pause here and make sure that we understand something. We see that, Abraham did buy male and female servants, but this does not mean that God is condoning slavery. Just like Abraham had two wives and God was not condoning polygamy. Does that make sense? So if this confuses you, well, why in the world did Abraham do this? Because Abraham didn't do everything perfect in his life. And so this is documenting Abraham's life. It's not giving us doctrine on how we're supposed to live. Does that make sense? This had to have been a surprising day for Ishmael and all the males in Abraham's house. Like, I met with God, and we're all getting circumcised. And Ishmael's 13. He's looking at his dad, and he's going, you're a real (laughs) cut-up. Some of you will get that on the way home. (laughs) But notice that very same day he said to them, Abraham, one of the things that is an earmark of his life is he does not delay in obedience. God told him to do this. It's difficult. He's going to do it. God speaks to him later on the road with Isaac to go offer him upon the altar, and he's obedient to that right away. Verse 24 Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Gross. Let's just say gross. I had to read that out loud. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Maybe equally as gross. Verse 26. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael. They shared a strong bond after that. And all of the men of his house, born in that house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. So what are the lessons? The first lesson is the magnitude of our choices. The magnitude of our choices. Abraham and Sarah choosing to go down this road with with Hagar, it had huge consequences. Stop and think. Seek the Lord. If we've gone wrong, take responsibility for those actions. But even more than that, we see the lesson of God's grace. God's grace and love to Hagar and to Ishmael. God's grace and unconditional love to Abraham and to Sarah. I know it's something that we know, we read, we study here at church. But the grace of God, the grace of God is everything in our lives. And we live in a covenant of grace based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we should learn from Abraham and Sarah's mistakes and our own mistakes and realize God will love us enough to allow us to experience the consequences of our actions. But have we pressed into the grace of God? Do we see how gracious God is here to Ishmael and Hagar? How gracious God is to Abraham and Sarah. God could have easily have written them off. And remember, this is Father Abraham, who does have Isaac, who does then go eventually to Jacob and the 12 tribes, and then the nation of Israel. This is the beginnings of the nation of Israel. And honestly, it's it's not very pretty. It's a bit messy. But yet we see this testimony of God's grace. And when we really look at our lives, we're a mess, aren't we? It's not too pretty. Spend a week with me, a day with me. It's not too pretty, right? We know our own sin and we know our own depravity and praise the Lord for the grace of God and believe and sink yourself fully into the grace of God and the covenant of God's grace. I believe that grace is the best teacher in our lives. I believe as we understand grace and live in grace, there's gonna be a holiness that develops that the works could never do. Works really can't produce holiness. It's this deep appreciation and understanding of grace and then understanding if there is holiness in my life, it's a reality of God's grace in me. So as you celebrate communion tonight, celebrate the grace of God. If you don't know Christ as your savior, if you've never come to that place, with the covenant of Jesus Christ upon the cross, what he requires of us is faith to turn from our sin, to believe that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins and rose again, and ask him to be our savior. And here you are, have sat through a Bible study tonight because God's pursuing your heart. And as we enter into communion and worship There's going to be a ministry team available on the sides, and come let us know, I'm ready to receive Christ as my Savior. Also, church, I know life is difficult, it's confusing and crushing, and if you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you as well. So let's stand together and let's pray, and we'll enter into communion. Father, we thank you for this section of scripture and this warning to not try to do things in our own strength, our own resources, and our ability to make things happen when it's contrary to your word and it's contrary to what you have directed us in. So Lord, would you help us and would you protect us? Would you slow us down and and keep us from making those Hagar type of decisions. And Lord, where we have misstepped in our lives, may we be quick to accept responsibility, to turn to you and to others in repentance. And we thank you that you don't give up on us in the valleys of our lives and in the sin that we commit. And as we come and celebrate your grace, may your grace be fresh in our lives, this covenant, this unconditional covenant that you have given to us in your broken body and your shed blood. We love you. Jesus, we love you. Father, we're so thankful that you're our dad. Lord, would you minister to hearts tonight just through the power of your spirit with such a beautiful body of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, your children, And God, where there's comfort, would you provide comfort? Where there's a need for correction, would you graciously give that? Where there's exhortation or healing, just the work that you desire to do in our lives. For those that are afflicted, that you administer to them just like you did Hagar, that you hear and that you see their affliction. Jesus, we're thankful that you revealed to us on the pages of scripture but we also are so thankful that you're real in our lives, that you never leave us or forsake us. So we draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen.